Hello, this is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide, and joining me today on this certification exam edition is Sebastian Park, director of the board of the Esports Certification Institute. Currently, much of the hiring that goes on in esports is in greater part due to the connections and nepotism than actual experience and know-how. ECI aimed to remedy this by offering a multiple-choice exam, one that could be presented to future employers to prove esports acumen. The test was met with criticism for costing $400 to take. Later in the week, ECI retracted the exam and refunded anyone who had signed on to take it. So before we get into the exam and concerns that were surrounding that, uh, what made you and Ryan want to start the Esports Certification Institute? Yeah, so we, both Ryan and I have been in esports. He's been in esports for about five, six years, and I've been in esports for about eight. And so we've been in the space for a good long while now, and, and we just saw a lot of rather crap hiring practices, right? We saw a lot of people who were hiring people who weren't necessarily qualified because they, you know, were their friends. And more importantly, we saw a lot of people failing up. We saw people who were claiming to be more than they are. And as a result, getting roles and positions in companies and, and you know, perpetuating the myth that, you know, they got there on <laughs> by lifting up their bootstraps, right? And... We, well, I in particular, we, we had just sold Clutch Gaming to Dignitas um, about like, I want to say 2019. And I was like, hey, like, this has been really awesome. How can we help? How can we, you know, give back to the, to the esports community and industry? And that was sort of the like ideation of it back in like 2019. And something that we had been thinking about for a couple of years prior, because, you know, we just spent a lot of time reading resumes and being like, hey, how can we tell the difference for when we're hiring a team manager or a salesperson between these like 600 different resumes and really wishing there was a way to really differentiate between the people who are involved in applying? <laughs> I mean, in your work in esports, you've been you know in the space since, correct me if I'm wrong, since about 2014. Um, were there any instances that stand out to you as extreme nepotism that have hurt organizations? Oh, man. How, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I think the biggest, the, like, the biggest one that I remember that I've seen really is, is really on, on, on sort of the marketing and sort of the softer skill side. You had a lot of people who were becoming figureheads and talking heads, specifically on content creation, who frankly were pushing out this idea that, hey, we're, we're, we're esports, we're gaming, we're awesome, we're, you know, we do a like a hundred million click-throughs a year, right? That's that's a number we know from just taking the peak concurrence of all our Twitch streams and multiplying it by 50 times number of streamers, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing these people then pitch this to really like brands, right? Brands who didn't know much about the industry and were like, oh, these numbers make sense. This is much larger than the Super Bowl. Let's pay a massive amount of sponsorship dollars for this, right? And then what would happen is that they would, the brand wouldn't get the return that they're looking for because you know, they've been oversold an asset or number that's not real. And the brand would leave esports <laughs> and they wouldn't come back. And it was, you know, that, that was the type of hiring and, and positioning that we saw. It was like, man, I, I really wish these guys knew what they're doing. So to, in, in one sense, by hiring people that are underqualified, there, it poses an existential threat to the industry. Yeah, I mean, the hope is that I think it's gotten better. And I think it has gotten better over the past few years. But 
that was a concern, right? It, it really hurt organizations up and down. And there are some downstream effects that orgs are still feeling to this day, which is really unfortunate. And, and so the, the idea was that, hey, like what if, what if we could put together a situation, put together a mechanism you know, to help weed out some of those actors, right? Some of those people who are claiming to be more than they are to you know, really shine a spotlight on some of the incredibly talented, but not you know, publicly facing, not active on social media folks out there who are really good at their jobs and really good at their skills but don't have a way to be exposed and get that opportunity to like grow the industry. One, one fun thing, because you know, I think since 2014, you know, Bitcoin and crypto has been a big part of the world as well. And what's really fun and the thing that like really drove me a little bit mad was you, you saw the talent that was going into crypto. You saw sort of just like these talented, really smart people getting their shot. And because it was crypto and because it was blockchain, they would just like write out the paper. They would like write out the concepts. And they get to get live and be vetted that way. In esports, in part because you know we're very much an online industry, we're very much segregated in terms of regionality, and because there's like the sheer number of people who want to work in the space, it was just harder to find those people. <laughs> so explain kind of what happened after, well, in the days after the announcement of the certification exam. Yeah. So. We really messed up a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. We, we messed up the launch. You know, our, our intention with the launch was always to have like a multi-day rollout. We didn't expect to get as much traction as we did. We got the same amount of traction that first day, right? Um, and we wanted to spend the next few days, you know, announcing different parts of the, uh, different parts of the exam. So, for example, day one, you, you go out with... Um, just with the announcement that says, hey, we've created this thing. Here's more coming. Day two, we you know, say, hey, here's re-emphasize the scholarships and fee waivers thing. Day three, come out and actually be like, hey, we've, we funded 100 scholarships Let's, and, and go from there. But uh, we needed to be clear. We needed to be more upfront with that from day one, um, from day zero even, that, hey, like, this is sort of the model there. I think we, we definitely messed up that launch. I also think, you know, we didn't do a good enough of a job in terms of making our point and trying to say, hey, we actually do also agree that standardized, standardized exams are flawed, that we actually do agree that there are incredible pros and cons around certification. And that, in fact, like our, our hope was let us go out to the market. Let's tell the industry, hey, we're trying to do something like this. Let's iterate on it. And let's not let perfect be the enemy of progress. So we definitely messed those things up. And so as a result, what ends up happening is, and I think correctly so, right? There's some great feedback. There's a lot of people who gave some amazing feedback to us, really happy about those guys and gals and non-binary pals out there who did so. And it, it, you know, people saw the top number. They saw the four hundred dollars, uh, and we we didn't do a good enough job messaging. Hey, like this is a public benefit corporation. You know, we're our intention, and our application is for to really work around fee waivers and scholarships and creating that funnel long term and pay what you can afford. It's just like the first iteration, and and so people took away from it a a very harsh version of this, which is hey, this is another gatekeeping mechanism trying to extract value and. Uh, that was quite unfortunate. Hmm. So, I mean, from what 
from the feedback that you've received, I mean, what kind of ways do you feel that you would want to move forward in trying to help weed out you know, people who are lesser qualified? You know, that's a great question. We're, I think the honest answer is we just got to work through it and go back to the lab and spend time thinking through the problems with the feedback we've gotten. I, I think it'd be disingenuous to say, hey, we already know the solution. This is a super hard problem, as you know. A super hard problem, right? This is a problem that other industries have been dealing with for years. And frankly, they've never been able to fix. Like we saw similar practices in other spaces, be it tech or finance or whatnot. And so the question is, hey, is there a way to solve this problem? Um, and we don't know the answer. We thought the certification exam in its iteration with some of the scholarship bits would be one approach to it. It's clear from hearing from the community, like, hey, they want a different approach. They want something that like, can provide value in other ways. I'm actually pretty bullish on programs like Enlight and uh, Pipeline and some of these more educational programs that are being built by people who've been in this space for a long time. I'm, I'm less bullish on some of the university <laughs> programs out there, you know, like the four-year esports degree. I'm pretty bearish on those. Uh, I do think that there needs to be other pathways, though, for people to showcase what they do. And it's just a question of like, what are those pathways and can we identify them and, you know, really run at them? You know, I, I do have some questions uh, regarding the exam itself. I think the thing that stood out to me were some of the questions that were more, I guess, logic-based arith- arithmetic questions. Um, what was kind of the reasoning behind behind those? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Actually, one of our uh, one of the things we would have done definitely would have been to remove a lot of those. We actually had, um, before we decided that we need to refactor everything, we're like, well, we probably shouldn't have included those as deeply. You know, we had consultants with education consultants and, and test-making consultants, people who work in the educational space. And we wanted to make sure that people understood how to read a Twitch dashboard, right? How to read Twitter impressions. Um, my personal belief, and I still believe this, is that if you don't have a certain level of statistical literacy in the space right now, no matter your role on anything business or uh, business-related, you're just not going to be able to do your job properly. And it's funny to say, but I, you know, we've interviewed people. I know a lot of my colleagues and people, hiring managers I've talked to have interviewed people who just don't understand some of those core concepts. So the intent was, hey, let's get those core concepts across. What ended up happening is we leaned too heavily into sort of established norms around math, right? Mm-hmm. We needed to really only talk about stuff like, hey, differences between averages, medians, and like outliers, right? I think that's super important for people to know. Just because one of your episodes is an, has a million views and the other ones all have 10,000 doesn't mean you're suddenly a million view per episode podcast. Not saying that you, Imad, your, your podcast is going to get to that million views, uh, I'm sure. Million <laughs> lessons for sure. But, but, but like, yeah, no, I think that was unfortunate. And we needed to, we needed to do a better job on that. Yeah, we, we heard that feedback loud and clear. We, um, it was a fun tw- first 24 hours when we were like, hey, like putting together the list of things we need to change and, and the ways to update them. Uh, before we were like, wow, this is actually a much more expansive list. We should take the time to just you know take it down and, and start from scr- uh, maybe even start from scratch even. Yeah, you know, I think when I first saw the exam um, announced, I, was, I, I actually wondered to myself if if I could even pass it. I mean, while I've been a long term reporter in the space, I do have expertise in like the FGC more so than I have in League of Legends. I mean, how would the exam have, I guess, accounted for that? Yeah, so by the way, I think that was another failure, massive, massive, massive failure on our part, right? Like this exam is not for you, Ahmad. It's not for anyone 
who is producing this. It's not for news reporters, it's not for talent creators, it's not for content creators. It's, it's specifically for entry-level business roles, right? Like your entry-level sales role, the, the type of role you often see people looking for right out of college and university, mm. right? Or someone who's you know, been in the space for a couple, been in a different space for three or four years, right? Like let's say you're doing an entry-level role as like a, a, ju- a junior aide for some other um, enterprise entertainment or something else. And you're like, hey, I, I want to switch into esports. There's really not much corollary in terms of my experience. Is there a way for me to just prove to people that I've, I have that esports no- industry knowledge? We messaged that incredibly poorly. Uh, it was it was too hidden on our website, and so I think people thought of it as like, hey, this is entirely. You have to have this to get a job in esports, and the actual answer was like, no, no, this getting a job in esports is so goddamn hard. Am I allowed to say goddamn? By the way, sure. And I just said it <laughs> twice in a row. You're you're fine. Uh, Sounds good. Well, it's one of those things that's so goddamn hard. How do I, you know, add on to like, say, a resume that'll get me into the door? How do I add on to a mechanism that allow me to launch? Those were two things that ECI was trying to accomplish with this iteration. Huh? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, instead of maybe an exam, maybe a course, like an online course that people take. Uh, I mean, would that be some, uh, a better method because it's more education versus like, you know, trying to suss out somebody through a test? Yeah, you know, I actually think that's a great, great piece of feedback. We, we were thinking and looking at that and we were just thinking about, hey, like, what is a time commitment for that? And how much is it for the person to put into, right? Money aside, I'm confident there are a lot of hardworking, talented people out there who don't need the course, mm-hmm. right? Who are already actually very literate in esports, who have the ability to make a difference. And for those people, I was like, like, they don't need a course. Like, would a course be prohibitive? Would it just be signaling? Like, would they learn anything from it relative to what they're trying to accomplish? I actually think courses are great, by the way. I'm, I'm a huge believer in continuing education. I've, I've also been very fortunate to you know, go to school and, and learn a lot of really cool things. And I'm, I'm very much aware of just how blessed I am in that regard. And so I'm a fan of the education bit. I just wasn't sh- like for what we were trying to do. We just weren't sure that that was the solution our thinking was hey there's this entire group of people who just just need a way to show that they're already good to go Mm -hmm. i had a friend who was really enthusiastic about wanting to get into the overwatch league um, and he came from a you know he went to school for business and he was kind of asking me how he could like break into you know the new york excelsior the houston outlaws and i told him and honestly I i gave it some thought and i told him you know i think you should start at the grassroots level you know maybe start a fan club or join the local fan club organize events that, you know, meet the actual staff that's part of these teams and show that, you know, you're very enthusiastic in helping expand the brand locally and that by expressing your interest that, you know, they may bring you on at some point. I mean, is that was that type of advice naive? I mean, does a bottom up approach work in esports? It's not naive. And, and I would never say that's naive. I actually, you know, that's that's the typical advice I used to give. Right. And and it's I think it's decent advice, to be honest with you. I just spent a lot of time, you know, in the past in in quarantine and, and a little before that thinking, hey, isn't this advice pretty biased towards those of us who can talk to people who are out there, who are able to you know, spend a lot of time engaging with people? It's awesome advice for the extroverts, right? It's awesome advice for people who are putting themselves out there. It's awesome advice for people who want to be content creators. It's It seems like pretty bad in retrospect for 
for the groups of people who they're very talented at, let's say, sales or, or more importantly, they're very talented at like account management, right? Or they're very talented at some of these other ancillary roles that are popping up at brands and ancillary esports companies, finance roles, things where they need someone to evaluate things, model builders, right? And they just don't have the propensity nor desire to go out there and talk to people. I think that's something that's very much the case there. The second thing that I think is actually probably more important is that the, the research is pretty definitive that a lot of those, when you hire based on, and you said yourself, it's like, hey, if you put yourself out there and you get along with these people, they, they may hire you, right? A lot of that type of hiring historically relies on implicit bias. And I'm not saying that every, things don't have implicit bias, but, but the implicit bias there is that it often lends itself to people hiring people who are like them. People who look like them, sound like them, think like them, be like them. And if your entire process historically in esports and has been is, hey, just find people who we've worked with before, who I like the cut of your jib. I like the way you pattern match the type of person I've seen in the past who's successful in this role. What you end up having is a pretty monolithic industry of people who've all gotten there through that type of grind. That just strikes me as incorrect, right? I mean, I, I've been, if, if universities still, and some of them still do, obviously, built out their admissions practice purely based on the people who had been administered and uh, admitted prior, we would have very, like, and historical universities, like the top universities in the country, right, would be very monocolored male, <laughs> you know? And so... I'm not saying it's bad advice. I actually do think that is the way to get into esports right now. And I think that's the stuff that people are talking about. But we have to address the privilege we have, right? We have to address sort of the elephant in the room, which is it worked for those of us who got in that way because of who we were and sort of the luck of the draw. Like we had the resources to meet these people we had. We, it just so happened that we got along with them. It just so happened that our hard work was seen. Whereas... I still to this day, and by the way, this is sort of a random fact, like, you know, we ended up refunding something like a couple dozen, maybe more, like people who signed up for a test in the first 24 hours, like there was like 1200 signups for the um, paid like signups, not just like the people who like bought it, took it down on the free on the study guide. There was um, 107 requests wow. for scholarships and fee waivers, right? Like there was a lot of inbound in that way. And so... You know, certainly I think there there is room to try to get those people to the forefront. Do I think we did the right job? Obviously, I, I think we made a lot of mistakes, right? Like, I mean, I just want to be clear about that. But to your point, and hopefully this doesn't sound as like a ramble or like a story, it does seem as though the advice we give sort of tilts people towards being closer to us and, and reduces the amount of diversity of thought that we mm -hmm. can have in this space. No, that's interesting. That's interesting. Like the types of people that would pay to take this exam are essentially you. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that is a that is a bias that we have for sure, right? I, you know, you know, it's it's one of those things where you start off by saying something to the extent of, "How did we make it into this space?" Well, we didn't make it into space with an exam. We didn't make it into space that way. But certainly, for me at least, and I can't speak for Ryan on this, and I can't speak for other people, but, you know, when I was growing up, the way you got out, and, you know, I, I'm the, a child of immigrants, right? We, we grew up in L.A., and we've had better and worse and tighter years. 
and I'm very lucky and privileged and fortune now, so don't get don't mistake that bit. Was that you had to be a good test taker? I don't know if you you saw that back then, but for me, it was very much like the the opportunities to scholarships, the opportunity to get out of your community was like there are these like tests that like really helped allow you to you know get more exposure right to people without having to already know to people in this space, and so that was sort mm-hmm. of the intention of it. Again, flawed execution, flawed launch, a lot of negative externalities. Also not saying that certification and standardization is a solution for everything. It is a solution historically to you know, provide more spotlight to different groups of people. Yeah, I'm trying to think like how you would solve for this, um, especially if you're trying to, you know, weed out some of that implicit bias, because if taking an exam attracts people like you or signing up for a course attracts people like me, um, I mean, isn't any kind of action you take going to attract just like a certain subsect of people? And how do you create some kind of system that, I guess, unbiasedly attracts everybody? Oh, it's so hard, right? I think the, I think the answer is you, got, you just try to create a lot of different paths. Right. That was sort of, I think, the, the idea behind it was, hey, let's like create a lot of different avenues for different types of people. Right. I think the hustle, create content, community organizer approach is awesome. We've gotten some great presidents that way, and we certainly will have some great people in esports who've come through that route. I think the course stuff is awesome, too. I think there's a bunch of people who are going to come out in the next 10 years who are like really course focused and they've like spent a lot of time thinking about the academics of esports. We're going to do a lot of really good work. I think there are paths where, honestly, I think another really awesome path into esports, you spend like five to 10 years working at like a consulting firm or a bank or some type of like tech company and you like learn a core skill, be it product mm-hmm. management or media management or whatnot. And then you come over. I think that's also a good path for people as well. You know, when you were at Clutch Gaming, I'm sure you had to deal with some hiring. Um, were you aware of some of that implicit bias that uh, you spoke of? And if you were, I mean, how did you hire people? Uh, yeah, no, we're, we were aware of it, but it was still so hard, right? Like we had an HR team, right? We had hiring managers, uh, you know, we would do the interviews and they would go through the different, we got, so let's say, so let's give an example, right? Let's say we opened up a position for an entry level team manager. An entry level team manager, as you know, is like mm-hmm. very much like the, not bottom rung, but like the first space you can jump into in esports, right? It's a place where someone can jump through, they can like, do the work. It's a lot of like helping players out, right? Like it's like helping grab coffee for players. Um, do you need and like there's and you can learn about esports that way? But how do you like identify and pick between probably like 500 qualified candidates? Like we probably get like 1,400 resumes in. Of them, probably like 900 of them are just either poorly written or just there's no information on them. And so like you throw those out usually. There's another argument or debate to be had whether or not you should throw those out or not, but that's a conversation for another time. And then up to 500, like how do you differentiate between them? The answer is, I don't know how we did. I I think for me personally, I I feel as though I I had bias towards, you know, work experience in other fields, right? Like I think we, if I looked at, if I think back to, and you know, Clutch got to around 28 people. So if I think back to the people we hired, it was like, hey, like a lot of really good experience at like fang companies or good experience in like named institutions. That was definitely a bias I have or had. Well, both actually. I think it's a bias I still have. Um, I think I put a lot of bias on just like the interview process, right? It's like, hey, like let's make sure it's a multi-tier interview process and we're we're wholly good for everyone across. 
that's mm -hmm. uh, that's only in there for sure. And then I guess my last question is, you know, what is next for the Esports Certification Institute? Yeah, I mean, I think let's just go back to the drawing board and figure it out, right? Like it's 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 interesting in the sense that I and I, I'm sure you agree with this. Like there are certainly issues in the hiring and access in the esports space. As they said, this wasn't it. Completely hear that. But I still am so blessed and lucky to have had a chance to work in the space for the past eight years that I still think that this is an issue to be solved. And we're going to look to see if there are other ways to solve it. That said, stuff's not perfect. <laughs> you know, like it's, um, I don't know if, I don't know if we're going to be able to find the best answer here quickly, but just, you know, it's more work. It's, you know, it's not, it's funny because I, it's to just be completely clear, right? Like it's not the full-time job of anyone on the advisory board. It's not the full-time job of myself, right? Like we all have our full-time jobs where we commit to. And, and this was a, and this still is a passion project that we want to help push the esports industry forward. I think the first step is spend a lot more time with people on the ground, especially at the entry level, right? I think we need to spend a lot more time with those people be like, hey, like, what are problems there? The second group, actually, I think this is the sort of less heard group, is we need to spend a lot of people with people who want to get into this space, but have no voice. Those people probably aren't on Twitter as actively. They're, you know, they're, we got to figure out a way to get them to speak up a little bit more. As it turns out, it's really hard to hear from people who are unheard. And I think that's the people we really want to help and support and bring more into the space. And so we got to figure out ways to reach out to them and really get in mm -hmm. touch with them. Well, Seb, thank you so much for jumping on. Hey, Ahmad, thanks for having me. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot .esports podcast network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share, and subscribe. For a full transcript of the show, head on over to ftwmod.com. To find Seb, you can find him on Twitter at Seb Park. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, find me at Ahmad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Henrique Demore and Jacob Wolf. Executive producers are Kevin Morris and Thomas Tischio. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.